Welcome everyone to JCV Art Studio Season 4. My name is Joanna and this is my podcast. Today I have author DC Gomez joining me. There is so much to talk about with, with DC. First, I'm going to give you a little bit about her. She is a she is a four-year army vet who has a morbid and quirky sense of humor, which um, having been someone who worked at the prosecutor's office, I, I'm, I'm very curious about that. Her, uh, her heart thumps for those who serve in their country and those who support them, which I think is, is very touching. Um, my sisters and I had a conversation this morning about we need to have more empathy and more understanding in our world. Okay. Um, her love journey of humanity is ongoing. DC is an award winner, US Today bestselling author, public speaker, mentor, and podcaster. Her podcast is Inside the Minds of Authors. And when I first read that, I thought, oh, that could be a little scary. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an author, so hey, I, hey I'm, I'm, I'll attest to that. Okay, She writes multiple genres from urban fantasy, contemporary literature, YA, children's books, and devotionals. I believe the current count for her novels and novella is 18. She has an undergraduate degree in film and television from NYU. She was born in the Dominican Republic and raised in New England. She now calls Texas her new adoptive home. DC, welcome. Hi, Madame. Thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure to be here with you today. Well, it's great. And I bear with me. I had about four and a half hours sleep. So that's why sometimes I have notes. <laughs> well, you'll understand. You're an author. Um, I belong to the, um, I got signed up for the Simon Fraser University's Writer Studio. And last night was the night when they critiqued my submission with three other authors. So it went to about 8.30. So you can, you know, you know, after that, oh, yeah. when I went to bed at 10, my mind was just still twirling, thinking about the suggestions, the suggestive edits, all that sort of stuff, right? It's so. But it's so exciting. It yeah. is so much fun. And as much as, as authors, sometimes I think we give the wrong perception because we say all the work that goes on, what yeah. most readers don't understand is deep down, we love it. We yeah. love this entire process. This journey is so amazing. Yeah. And we get a we get a thrill out of it and then we don't sleep. So yeah. I completely understand. Yes. So I said muffins this morning instead of muffins. That's okay. <laughs> right? So, hey, but let's talk about you. Let's talk about your books. Can you tell us a little bit about Judgment Day, which is book five in your series. So this is officially probably one of my favorite books. I have to honestly just put it out there. The entire series, to some extent, is all about this book. Like this is a culmination of the Inter Diaries. So the series is based on the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse. And because I have a morbid and quirky sense of humor, the question comes in, what are the horsemen doing when they wait for the apocalypse? Let's be honest. I'm sure I'm not the only person who's thought about it. I was like, if the horsemen are really around, what do they do? So this, 
let's be honest. I, I literally had that question. Yeah. So the series kind of explores all those little things of what the horsemen are doing. Book one, we talk about death. Two, you figure out what Pestilence is doing. And she's deliciously evil. And yes, mm-hmm. you can blame all the diseases in the world, Pestilence, and she's making a killing under the money. <laughs> you got war controlling the armies and all the wars in the world. You got, you know, famine in my mind. What better way for the horsemen of, you know, starvation to make a killing than run the diet industry? Hello. Oh, so you have all these books, all these madness, and you got four novels, you got three novellas, everything building up to the fact that what would trigger the apocalypse? And yeah. in the series is all about all the enemies finally came together just to piss off the horsemen. And the horsemen's solution to this is like, which is going to destroy the world. Yeah. So ISIS and the team are like, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's, let's slow this down. Yeah. Like, give me three days. Yeah. So the joke comes back. It's like, why three? I, why couldn't you say, give me a week? Why would you say three? She's like, the first number I thought about it, whatever. Yeah. So their job in Judgment Day is A, figured out how to get their people back because a whole bunch have been kidnapped. Yeah. save Bartholomew, who's Isis' little brother, who's also been part of the kidnapping, try to stop the enemies, make sure the horsemen don't destroy the world, make sure the enemies don't destroy the world, save humanity from the apocalypse, all while creating hell and discontent in the city of Texarkana. So oh, wow. it is a wild adventure of madness and excitement. And pretty much at the end of the day, it always comes back. What would you do for your family? You know, what would you sacrifice for the people that you love? And that's always been Isis's main concept. She is an orphan, you know, raised by her godmother. And in the series, she finds out the dark secret her godmother has. And now she has made a family. She has made this entire connection with the most insane group of people, both humans, supernatural, talking cats. Yeah. And now here's the reality. What would you do? Yeah. You know, so she has a huge decision she has to make in Judgment Day. Everybody has that decision and everybody has to figure it out. I was like, are we doing this? What is this going to look like? Yeah. And are you willing to fight? And are you going to fight for the people you love? So yeah. Judgment Day gives you a whole bunch of those questions that sometimes, because it's urban fantasy, I get to put out there without having to be too personal. Yeah. But what will you do for the people you love? And this is that story of like, I will give it all. And that's Isis's journey. Wow. Wow. Okay. Okay, so oh, I got so many thoughts going through my head right now. We're going to talk about ISIS. And when I was looking online at the books in the series, first of all, I duped some book design, and the book designs of the novels are all excellent. Are, like th- th- those women, she, that's ISIS. She is so empowered, right? Oh. Let me give a huge shout out to my cover designer, who is yeah. Christine Girardi. Designs, she is available. Anybody who wants to look for cover design, she's amazing. Okay. So the books, the intern diaries, this is like literally take number three in their covers. So okay. it has been through three versions of this design to truly capture the essence. So when I started out, and it's kind of the big joke, the book really looked like Twilight. And okay. here's the thing is. If you were looking for a Twilight kind of book, you were going to be disappointed because this is nothing. Like, this would have broken your heart. Like, I'm pretty sure people are like, what, girl? What is this? <laughs> so we went a little bit more into the magic of Rome. Like, the second set looked very horror. 
It's yeah. like, okay, it's not really capturing. So this new design, Christine Girardi has done an amazing job to capture the essence of ISIS. Yeah. Then to capture the essence of the urban fantasy to give you a piece of like, okay, this is about to go down. Yeah. And she does such an amazing job. I mean, she does a lot of my fantasy series. I have a couple artists for my devotionals and a little bit for my humorous fiction that is very woman-led. So yeah. I work with different people. Christine has managed to capture that essence in such an amazing way that I love her. Good to know. And actually, you're making me feel better because as just before we started recording, I was sending an email to the book designer I've hired because, um, you know, I, I can do, I could, I'm sorry, I'm getting off on a tangent here. I can do book design, but I, I figured it out. It's like, I have that. It's like I'm a hairstylist. I don't know about you, but I find sometimes, you know how some hairstylists, every time you go back, they kind of have a different haircut or a different, they've done something different with their hair. Mm -hmm. That's what I was doing. So to my own covers. So it was like, I wanted to brand them and just, you know, yours, they look incredible and you get the sense of this is a series, right? And, and, and that's what I wanted too. So that's what she's working on. Right. So it was very specific and that's yeah. kind of the catch specifically for this series and all of my series. Like if you change from the intern diaries if you go in, into the Elijah Chronicles or if you go into the Assassins I wanted that feel of the brand I want you to yeah. pick up one cover and be able to be like okay this is related to that yeah and it took me a while to realize that when I started writing it didn't do that like these books were like hanging out by themselves and you're yeah. going they're great if it was a standalone book yeah. when you're looking at a series if they're not connecting if your fonts are not translating if that topographic yeah. if all these little pieces are not going oh look it's a series. I was losing people and I was losing a lot of those readers because it didn't have the connection. It didn't have the visual reminder that they were there. So it's hard as an author to say, I'm going to change my covers Yeah, because we're emotionally attached. Yeah. My emotional attachment every time I change took about a couple of days to kind of finally said, okay, are the covers for me or the covers for my readers? And once you, and once you get away from like, you know, I can love the covers. I have yeah. a copy of all the books. Yeah. But they're not for me. You know, yeah. we write for ourselves. We publish for others. Drake Alexander taught me that in a seminar last year. And I was like, that is beautifully said because yeah. as an author, every time we publish, we're publishing for our readers. Yeah. So if it's not connecting with my readers, these covers are useless to me. They're pretty, yeah. but they're not doing the purpose. So take a breath. Be okay. You can love them. You can cry for your children and then be like, okay, we need to move on to the next one. Yeah. And you, you figure it out. Yeah. I promise. Oh gosh. I'm just, I'm having light bulb moments here. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad we, I, I'm glad I went off on that, on that, on that. It's a good tangent. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So Isis, Isis, like I said, she's strong. She's empowered. Can you tell us about her? Tell us about Isis. She's the girl that I think to some extent we all want to be. Okay. She is that combination of beautiful, talented, and in all the good ways. Like she wants to see the goodness in people. And yes, she's still sarcastic and she has an attitude. So the novels themselves are from her point of view. So you're in her head. So for people who don't like first person, this series might get you mad. 
the novellas, on the other hand, at third point, everybody's yeah. like, what happens? Like, I don't know. Like, for whatever reason, <laughs> the novellas is everything that happens when ISIS is not around. So I'm not in the guy's point of view for those ones. So I wanted to give an outside perspective. But it is based on a girl who she's literally trying to find herself. She's out of the military. And somebody asked me, is it my life story? I was like, no, I stole my brother's. He was also in the <laughs> army. <laughs> and by the way, I don't work for death. This is not an autobiography. <laughs> it's not a fantasy. I have to have those disclaimers. And everybody giggles at me. He's like, really? He's like, not my life story, guys. Really, I'm not that exciting. I'm just yeah. a writer. Yeah. But Isaac brings together the idea of she takes people really quickly as face value. She doesn't do the judgment part. She analyzes them and then she just goes with them. Like what? Yeah. It didn't take her that long to trust a talking cat and a 12-year-old boy. Yeah. You know, she doesn't have this hang up. But she was raised by a very gypsy godmother okay. who saw the world very differently. Yeah. Her parents died when she was little. So she's dealing with all these different factors of how do I belong? How do I make my tribe? How do I come to terms with her own trauma? And let go of this trauma. So ISIS gives you, you can either look at it at a very face value yeah. and just stay at the surface and have a blast with the fact that she's like, I'm stuck in this hot mess. Yeah. Or you can go down her path and just really enjoy who she is from the point that even in her 20s, she's still trying to find out who she is and trying to make the most of her life. Gosh. I'm in my 50s. <laughs> and when I retired, I was, I was just like, okay, I know I want, I'm like, Okay. I've been an author for a long, long time. But when I retired in January, you know, you take 34 years of working for the government and 8 a.m. you start, 4.30 you end. And I would work in my writing around that to suddenly you have this time. And it was just like, okay, how am I going to do this? You know, and so I just, I took that schedule and thought, use it for your writing, you know? So, okay. Yeah. See, that's why I say I'm still trying to find myself, but I, I think I did. <laughs> You're doing really well. That's an awesome <laughs> way to transition. I know a lot of people have a hard time because we want to fight the routine that we know. Yeah. And yet when we do, then we get lost. Yeah. So by you embracing it and saying, you know what? It worked. Yeah. I'm going to use it. It grounded you in reality while still letting you transition. So you did amazing. I'm super proud. Thank you. Super <laughs> proud. You oh did my God. <laughs> I'm going to tell you all my troubles now. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. So your books, your books. You kind of talked about the four horsemen of the apocalypse and, you know, how you've worked them into the plot, right? So when the readers pick up book one, let's say Deaths in Turn or any of the books in the series, what are they in for? Can um, can you give us a little bit more about the series, right? I'm going to start you very what I call mundane magic. So it's going okay. to start with no magic at all because Isis doesn't know anything about the magical world. So she is introduced to it because, as I say, accidentally kills death all in turn. So I have a joke in the book that, you know, the Santa Claus, but Tim Allen did much better than her. Because, you know, <laughs> you have to be Santa. She's now in test entrance. Like, really? How does that work out? You get tons of pop references. So if people are not into pop culture, they're going to be a little disappointed because there's a whole bunch of that. Excellent. But you get to meet a horseman and a supernatural being at the same time. And that's been specifically that way. Like, I wanted to introduce you to death and witches. Yeah. Because every book adds upon itself. So then book two, you get pestilence and zombies. Book three, 
you're going to get war and then I'm going to give you vampires and elves yeah. and demons in there. Yeah. So, and because you're dealing with death and death is literally the UPS of the soul world. So wherever you think your soul is going to go is where yeah. death is going to take you. So death, you get to see this process and so you get to see the devil, as we call him, Jake, who happens to be sexy as can be because that's how he lures people into hell. Yeah. Let's be honest. And then in book four, you get to meet famine and shifters. So every book adds a little bit more. Every one of these interns. So Isis get to meet the horsemen and their interns. So you get to see this family grow. Wow. And it, when it goes from the horsemen don't talk to each other. Yeah. Like they don't, they don't, technically they're siblings, which is a lot of fun to play with because you get tons of sibling rivalry. Yeah. But their interns don't interact until she comes along. And she doesn't know any better. She doesn't care. She just makes friends with these people. And she's like this magnet for all the quirkiness in the world and all the things that can happen. Yeah. And she's just so open to this idea that why not? Yeah. Why do I got to lose for this? Yeah. So you get to meet the horsemen in terms of, you know, who's dad's favorite? And everybody's like, famine. <laughs> <laughs> so there is that. For anybody who has siblings, it's a fun process just to play off that concept. And it's a great concept for Isis because she's an only child. She's like, I am so happy I don't have any siblings because this is a hot mess. <laughs> like, this is horrible. And then you get Constantine, who has become so much of everybody's favorite. So Constantine is literally the talking cat. Yeah. And Constantine is the guardian. He's the one training all the interns. So he gets to experience a horseman from his own new level. And he truly despises pestilence. So in book two, you have Constantine hanging over the chair, trying to figure out how he's going to hang himself because he cannot even stand this woman. <laughs> so you get a whole bunch of like family drama there as an outsider, yeah. which is Isis. She's like, what have I walked into? What yeah. is this mess? Yeah. So that's where you get a lot of like the quirkiness, the dark humor going on. Because for the most part, I tend to forget that we're dealing with a lot of horror elements. You know, you got yeah. zombies and you got death and you got all the things that you can put into a very horror book. Yeah. But there's so much comedy that you're like, oh, I don't know what we got here. <laughs> so it is this zany plot that's going to take you on an adventure. And my goal is always to help readers get lost in this story. Excellent. If you enjoy magic, if you enjoy yeah. fantasy, if you just enjoy a wild ride, this story is going to give it to you in all so many different levels. Wow. Wow. So another tangent, as you're talking, I'm wondering, what did you read as a child? <laughs> a little bit of everything. Yeah. I am super eclectic. Like okay. I love reading. So I have been the kid that has gone lost in books in so many different ways. So it has been an absolute blast. So I am addicted to urban fantasy. Okay. Kim Harrison is one of my heroes, Jim Butcher. Yeah. And then I can go from the extreme and spend hours reading Deepak Chopra's and his meditations and his oh, health books. Yeah. So there isn't, I'm, I'm learning about romance. Romance has not been my strong point. Yeah. But overall, I can pick up a little bit of everything and just be inspired yeah. and enjoy truly a really good book. So I'm very blessed that my parents were like, indulge me in reading and kind of made it easy for that. Excellent. Excellent. All right. Okay, so with your characters, that they all sound wonderful and that like a, you'd have a great time writing about them. Is there any character that you as an author kind of had this, because this is happening, happened to me, a predetermined outcome, okay? 
but like through the writing process, it's like your character is like, nope, I'm not doing this. And you're, it's almost like, okay, the, the character is now telling you where this story is going. I have a couple. Okay. And it happens every so often. And you're going, you're not my favorite person right now. <laughs> so Constantine does that all the time. And okay. Constantine, the origins of Constantine, the novella is free ebook. Anybody who wants to get it. I had an entire outline of how that baby was going to go down. And after chapter two, completely went downhill. Like <laughs> this book has nothing to do with me. Like I am a planner. I need an outline. I'm writing an outline as I'm writing this book. I don't even know why I should have stopped, but I needed an outline. Yeah. And this cat was like, yeah, that's not going to work out. <laughs> so anytime, anytime Constantine's involved, I tapped out. I was like, I have no idea what we're writing. This is yeah. going to be a hot mess. People yeah. be prepared. So Constantine has that a lot. One of the ones that I really enjoy writing that is a shock and a surprise yeah. is Shorty, especially oh, in this series. Okay. So in book one, I needed to fill space. So this yeah. is the story of my century. I needed to fill some spaces. I had ISIS downtown. It's urban fantasy. So it takes place in Texarkana. Yeah. So it's real location. So I put her down in front, I think, the Salvation Army. Yeah. Well, most of my chapters are about 2,000 words. Yeah. Well, I, word a thousand, I ran out of stuff for her to do. I'm like, God, girl, what are we supposed to do here? Like, this chapter is <laughs> really small. I literally ran out of stuff. I was like, okay, we need something. Yeah. And I had introduced Shorty as one of the few people that knew Bob's. Without giving too much of the story, Bob has been kidnapped. Isis now is searching for him. This is what book one's all about. And lo and behold, here comes Shorty. Yeah. This kind of scraggly little guy, a little bit, you know, rough. Yeah. He happened to be homeless. And yet he's such a smart ass. Yeah. And there's so much cockiness into him. So I was like, okay, so I threw him in there. Did not realize Shorty was going to become his own major character in the series. Wow. Have become such an icon that people just love him. And he is just, you know, Shorty calls Isis boss lady. Like, what you want, <laughs> boss lady? And he just appears. He has an entire line in P Pestilence, which is Plague Unleashed, because all of us zombies. So Shorty tells Isis, like, you tag them, I bag them. And she's like, <laughs> what does that mean? I was like, so every time she knocks out a zombie-like human because they can't kill them, Shorty throws them in the back of the truck and takes them to the you know church to be pulled over yeah. so they can get a cure. So I have this ongoing joke that Shorty can't drive. And if yeah. you're trying to die, be careful riding with Shorty or in front of Shorty. So wow. this is one of those characters that didn't see him, yeah. was not on my radar, nothing yeah. to do. And he's just kind of stepped into these pages. And now I'm just like, I don't know what the intern diaries would be without Shorty and his yeah. hot mess. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Okay. Now, I haven't, actually, I, I've thought of one other thing before I, I, we get into your film and television. And that is your experience. Your experience, I have to ask, as a four-year war vet, that must have influenced. Does has it has it influenced how you write? Well, I guess I'm going to tie your film question with that one and together. Yeah. So it kind of all plays into it. So I graduated from film school. I graduated from NYU yeah. in 2001. And one of the things that when I was getting ready to graduate right before my junior year, I joined the military. Yeah. So one of the things that I learned in film school, for good or for bad, was that you needed to write about the things that you knew. So my goal in life was I was going to go join the military, do four years. So I was going to start doing 
either documentaries or I was going to start doing blockbusters, but I was going to pay my student loans just so I can start writing scripts about people. Because yeah. at the time I was like, I am 21. And the only thing I know about is Dominicans and college students yeah. and film. I'm like this is not enough to create a story about people. Yeah. So my goal was to write stories about people. Yeah. Well, when I joined, it was May of 2001. Fast forward, oh. I was in basic training when 9-11 happened. Yeah. And life completely changed. You know, my concept of four years in the military became a career in the federal government. It completely yeah. changed the way I saw my life. And every dream of being this creative being got put on hold. Yeah. I was very much committed to the safety of my family. I wanted to be in the military. So my brothers didn't have to. Lo and behold, I'm in Iraq and my brother joins the army. And I was like, we're going to kill you, child. Like, which part? Of, oh, wow. Like, where do you think I'm at? But that's yeah. a whole different story. Yeah. But it became such a part of my life. I got to see people. I got to meet people. Yeah. For people who are not familiar with the military, it is his own separate world. It is a slice of life. You're going to get good and bad. You're going to get a little bit of everything. But at the end of the day, you get to meet some incredible people that have given a lot yeah. and not asking for much. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, the military is truly service. Yeah. One of the things that they tell us when you join is like, this is not a job. This is a lifestyle. And you are on call 24-7. And I'm like, what did I join? Yeah. I was like, it's not the Boy Scout. You know, you are on call. You know, you got to have permission to go on vacation. You know, like you have to have, and your vacations, like you don't have weekends free. You know, you're on a anytime recall. So it became a very way, very real way to see the world. But also you get to appreciate the world for a whole new perspective. You know, when in the back of your mind, I'm like, I might die yeah. doing this job. You live and you play and you do all these things hard because life becomes very fast and you're always thinking all the time. How does this influence my, my writing? Every single thing. Mm -hmm. Not so much from the sense of just having the peace of ISIS being in the military, but just the influences of the people that we meet. How she sees the world, how she carries herself and that passion for life. I think at the end of the day, I want people to truly realize that they're blessed and that life is such an amazing journey. Even when we're having a bad time, yeah. it's still a blessing to be alive. Wow. <laughs> wow. DC. Jeez. <laughs> God, I, I needed this interview today. <laughs> oh, <Aww. laughs> thank you. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, you're, you've blown me away here. You've blown me away. Aww. Okay. Your book, okay, Judgment Day. It was released April 18th, 2020. I'll, I'll share my quick story with you. I remember I was doing a, I was, oh, I was just getting together doing a book signing in uh, Chapters Indigo in Nanaimo. And the uh, manager of Chapters Indigo said to me, you have pick whatever date you want in February and pick whichever date, or you can, I'm sorry, you could pick a date in February, we're open, or you could pick March, we're open. And it was just, it was just fluke that I said, nah, let's do February 28th, you know, like, I, and like, I, cause I was originally thinking March and I didn't really, of course, no one knew then, you know, and then literally two weeks later, boom, 
you know, everything shuts down. Okay. And I was just like, wow. You know, so how, how, what was your experience? April 18th, 2020, your book comes out. Well, it's a little worse than that. So yeah. the paperback comes out April 18th. The ebook comes out March 27th. So here's the fun part. And that this is probably the best marketing story I can tell anybody that there is a purpose. The universe has a sense of humor and you just got to go with it. Yeah. Because this is book five of this series. Unstoppable Famine came out in January and I was going to do a fast release to finish this series in March. So for four months, we're only working on this series, nothing else. Famine comes out in January. We're going to knock this out in March. My readers are excited. We got pre-orders. And here comes the pandemic. We shut down March 13th. Yeah. So let me put it this way. Trying to market a book when the world thinks is dying yeah. called Judgment Day. <laughs> I'm like, do you understand how hard it is to tell people Judgment Day is coming? They're like, what? Even saying it out loud, like I had to put parentheses, like the book. Like every time I announced it, and like it was one of the most bizarre world ever because as a writer, everybody is in panic mode. The world is slowly shutting down. And I'm selling as, you know, Elizabeth Gilbert says, brain candy like yeah. who wants to read this and it's called judgment day and it's about the apocalypse yeah. by the way we're in the middle of an apocalypse that people don't know what's happening yeah everybody most of the people who read the series thought it was amazing because like this is very prophetic i was like i was not aiming for prophetic yeah. we were not aiming for this we were aiming for like book five yeah and by the way it's called judgment day because it's based on a methamen song and i was like you know here comes the whole entire thing and what are you saying? Yeah. Like my soul hurt because I'm like, I'm a writer. Like yeah. this is what I do. What am I adding to the universe? Like what am I giving back to people? And it hurt so much because I'm going, everyone's like, you should change the title. It's like, can't change the title. No. Let me explain this to you. This title is it. Like this yeah. is this is the money-making title. I love this book, yeah. but it became very interesting just from the perspective of everything happening in the world. And by the way, Texas gets hit with killer bees. I got some killer bees in my book. I was like, oh no, really? Anything else? And Rita's like, did you see this coming? I was like, my crystal ball is a little broken. I'm only from Salem. Can't see the future, guys. So it was a journey. And it was extremely, I think it was extremely exhausting. Just trying to get this book out. You're going, oh my God, God, really? Really? This This is happening to me. Yes. I think so I'd, talk about. I think I'd be grabbing a couple of bottles of wine, <laughs> just like I'm sorry, I interrupted. Oh. No, but but you understand it is yeah. that concept of like I'm marketing a book. Yeah. We have been talking about it. is based on the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse. It is all about the apocalypse. This book happens to be called Judgment Day, and then the world wants to shut down. And you're going, yeah. did you really just do that to me, God? Yeah. Really, really, yeah. is this how? Yes. So all you can do is just, honestly, it's just going, okay. And you make the most of it. Now it makes for an amazing, funny story. Yeah. And we all can laugh about it. That year was not funny. Like, there was nothing no. funny about this book. There was nothing funny about how do you market? How do you get people to not panic? And because I didn't want to be connected to the pandemic. I didn't want people to expect yeah. something related to the pandemic when it's like, no, this is not that book. Yeah. And it still has tons of action. It's still super fun. It is yeah. all the madness you can find. I tell people, it's like, 
the ending of Harry Potter means Endgame and the Avengers and you crash them together. This is the kind of story you're going to get. Yeah. But marketing in 2020, right as the world shut down? Yeah. There was a lot of parentheses. See, and I even found, because I was then working from home, and I figure out uh, issues with plots as I walked to and from work, that because I wasn't walking to and from work, it's like I had the first month and a half, I was writing and I was wondering, why am I not writing? And it's because I had lost that walk, you know, where I could think things over. And I even had a couple of friends tell me, I can't even focus on reading right now. And I'm just like, you know, just because everybody was just like slammed, you know, just like, what are we dealing with here? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Now you write multiple genres. Okay. And so, okay, I'm, I'm asking for advice here. Okay, I'm going to be totally upfront. So I have a small following with my thriller series. I have a futuristic novel, which I'm hoping will come out in the next two years. Okay, different readers. You know, I'm thinking, this is what I'm thinking as I, I lie awake at night at 2 a.m. Okay, different readers. Now, I can think of a couple of readers who would who like my writing, who would read the futuristic novel just for the joy right of it, okay? But what I'm wondering is, again, it's about the marketing. What is the best advice you could give with regards to marketing for an author who wants to write in multiple genres? You have multiple ways of doing it. And okay. here is what I recommend to everybody to start thinking about it. You can always do separate pen names and keep okay. your lines very clean. Yeah. Which is what most people recommend, you know, so that way your thriller readers will follow and continue, you know, yeah. your sci-fi can continue and keep it very clean. That makes it a much easier marketing campaign. You're just managing multiple names. Okay. I am not that good at managing multiple names. Let's just be honest. One is enough to drive me insane. More than that, that's a whole exercise in futility. Yeah. So one of the things that I do, I don't write to genre. I write to a brand. So I branded my marketing to a very DC Gomez kind of style. So if you like quirky characters, if you like action, if you like massive, sany plots and a whole bunch of madness, I'm your girl. Okay. Regardless of the genre that I write. Okay. I have readers that are going to transition from one. You got to remember, I'm writing urban fantasies and I'm making the devil very sexy. And at the other end, I got devotionals. So, (laughs) which is... Very much. And then I got children's books. Yeah. So when I go to conventions, everybody, like, I obviously separate Charlie, which is my children's books from my death. So Charlie has the whole separate side of the table. Yeah. I usually get the looks of like, how many people write here? It's like, just me. They're like, what? Yeah. It's a brand. It is a DC brand. So I am very much aware that it's a little harder to do. It takes a lot more time. Okay. But I also stopped trying to put my readers in a bubble. Okay. And I let them figure it out. Because a lot of the times we say, well, readers who read this don't want to read that. That's not true. Like, think of yourself. Yeah. Like, I read cozy mysteries and urban fantasies. Yeah. As well as some help. Why is there not a reader like me? So instead of trying to pigeonhole my readers and telling them, no, you can only read this. This is what I write. If you like my style, if you like the way I flow, 
I recommend you pick this. Yeah. You don't have to. So I have readers who only like my fantasy. I have readers who love it all. Okay. You know, I have readers who I really enjoy, honestly, the devotionals. And I have readers that would never pick up devotional. Yeah. But they know that I do it all. I also have readers that don't have any kids and buy the kids' books for their friends. So instead of trying to assume that my readers are not going to pick it up, I give them the option. You don't have to pick it up. This one might not be in your bubble. You know, I have a cat lady special that doesn't have any magic. So depressed cat lady terms arm stealer might not be for everyone. (laughs) I love that idea. (laughs) So one of the things I have stopped doing is trying to make sure that I don't underestimate my readers. I let them give them those options and also let them know that I write what I enjoy. So the same passion you're going to get from one book, you're going to get it from the other. It's just let them decide what they want to read. Again, another light bulb moment. Wow. Okay. That's great. That's great advice. That's great advice. Thank you. Hey, just create your brand and whatever that brand is that you know that is your essence and people can follow. So I'm very aware that I write quirky characters Yeah. in everything I write. So they are very much understanding that you're going to get a whole bunch of madness. You're going to get a bunch of quirkiness and they can deal with that. They can make those decisions themselves. Okay. Wow. Okay. So what book was, um, I bet you, oh, I'm just thinking, I'm thinking now, thinking about your answers. I don't think there is a book, but was there a book that was a game changer for you um, reading throughout, let's say, as a child, a young adult? Was there any book? See, I've, we, I have a book here, which it's uh, it's by a local author. They're actually adapting it into a mini series. It's called Oh Greenwood, and it's a it was a game changer to me. It was one of those books where I picked it up and I thought, "Wow, I love how this man writes." So, was there any book that had that wow factor for you? I think we all have books in different stages of our lives and his is very differently. One of the ones that hit me really hard, believe it or not, is Dr. Seuss, The Places You Will Go. Okay. And our English teacher in high school, senior year, made every single person read it. Yeah. And believe it or not, I was much more terrified about the passage he says of the waiting places that we will spend a lot of time waiting. Yeah. And to me, that was such, even at a young age, such a terrifying concept that was like that sounds like you're losing time and you're wasting it why are we not moving so even in the back of my mind I've always been that person I was like I don't want to be waiting I don't want to be waiting I don't want to be wasting as an adult I'm now indulging in those spaces where I wait whether I'm waiting at the doctors where I'm waiting at a mechanic this is the only time I get to now like hey look you can catch up all the stuff you didn't do before so I multitask like a maniac but I have taken that concept of like instead of looking at waiting as a bad thing is anytime there's that downtime to actually just enjoy it. As an adult, Icar Tolle's The Power of Now really changed my life. Okay. Because, and here's something that I don't know if everybody can honestly think about it. We spend a lot of time thinking of the past. Yeah. And we have resentment and we have guilt. Yeah. Then we spend the rest of the time thinking of the future. And then we worry <laughs> and have all these anxious thoughts. 
very few of us honestly spend time here in the now. And one of the things he says, if you truly think about right now, what is happening in this specific moment? Like, are you being hurt? I'm like, nope. Are you hungry? No. Is something happening to you? He's like, no. It's like, then life is great. Enjoy it. And I was like, oh my God. But it is one of those books that it took me several times to honestly get through it. Because when I first read it, I was like, okay, I don't get it. Whatever. And I had to go back again and be like, oh, wow. I do spend a lot of times. You know, they say we have 80,000 thoughts in our heads. And 80% of them, they're the same ones. And I'm like, that's a big waste of mine now. (laughs) Because we're always worried or we're feeling guilty and we're not here. We're not present. So one of the things that I always wanted to do is wherever I'm at, and it's usually easier when there's people around me. Because I want the person in front of me to feel like they're the most important people in my life. I want to give you that undivided attention. I want for that moment to realize that you matter, that you're here. And unfortunately, I'm very ADD. So it tends to be like really short. I was like, okay, focus, stay in the present right now. But it's one of those books that have made me realize very early or late, depending how you look at it, because I was in my 30s, that I have a choice. I get to choose whether I'm present or if I'm just letting my mind wander and, you know, go back in history and think of all the things that I did wrong or worry about all the things that are not going to happen instead of just literally enjoying the space that I'm in. Oh, oh thank you. <laughs> oh, geez. <laughs> That's beautiful. I do, hey. I, I do the exact same thing. That is beautiful. Just enjoy the space you are in. Wow. Pick up. Pick up Edgar Tolle's The Power Now. It's actually 20 years old, believe it or not. And it's still powerful. It's still on point. It still makes you realize, oh, wait, it will be okay. I am okay right now. And whatever it is, you're not the same person you were 20 years ago. You're not the same person you were yesterday. Stop beating yourself up because you have done something wrong. You're not a bad person. You made a mistake. Let it go. Move on and enjoy the day. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Okay, so going from that discussion, just a couple more questions. I want to ask, because A, I want to be a better person. Okay, so I was listening. I always listen to Mark Maron's podcasts. And one of his latest ones, he interviewed Zon McLarnon, who discussed reservation life. And Zon was a cast member of the show Reservation Dogs. And they talked about representation in the film industry. Um, Canada's history, we have had a a very, we have tread residential Indigenous people, Indigenous children were sent to residential schools and they were just treated horribly. Okay, so that's Canada's, that's Canada in Canada's history. All right. So I was wondering, and we are trying to reconcile, you know, with what we did in our past. So I was wondering, how do you feel about representation of African American, Hispanic, Asian writers in the publishing industry? Like, is it better? Is there more we can do? Is there more I can do as a podcaster? 
there's always more we can do. Let's just put it out there. There's always going to be more. One of the things that I interview a dear friend of mine, and she's amazing, and she's actually from India. And I was like, hey, have you read, you know, Aru's books, you know, that, you know, they're amazing. They're being provided by, you know, Disney. And one of the things she said that I thought was amazing was a lot of it, even in her culture is she applied for many, many companies to get into it. And she's like, well, we already have our Indian writer. Sorry, you're too late. And I was like, no. Oh my God. And at the beginning, she's like, oh my God, I missed my chance. She's like, why do we believe that can only be one? One. She's yeah. Like, why do you? Why do you believe that it has to have a mythical element? Why can't it just be a fantasy story because it's a fantasy story? And it took me into a very kind of a surprising place because when I started writing, you know, most of us writing, even though we're minority, we were writing white characters because that's what we were used to reading, you know? So so think about it that way. Yeah. A lot of our children do not have representation. So they don't see themselves as an actor. They don't see themselves as a writer because there's not that many. Now in the States, we have a a huge, beautiful influx. Yet those are not the writers that you see on the New York Times bestsellers. You know, those are not the ones you are being recognized or they're being promoted because there's still a, not a perception, but more or less, there is still a huddle. You know what I mean? There's still these things that we have to do. There's still gatekeepers. So as podcasters, in terms of what people can do, honestly, it's as simple as giving a new author a chance. So do not go in there and say, I need to pick a book of color. Because I think as a whole, that just sounds so diminishing and you're losing the story. Is pick a book and take a chance on a new author, regardless of their nationality. Honestly, look for an author. You're like, hmm, that could be fun. And give yourself permission to go outside with this traditional. Go look for indies. You know, there is such a diverse of writers, females, males. You know, you got Latin Americans, you got, you know, African-Americans. You have a whole bunch, Asians, all of these things. They're exploring these worlds if you give permission to step outside. As a podcaster, is also the ability to open yourself up to new concepts. You know, it doesn't have to be. I think when we focus only on a race or nationalities, we tend to lose the essence of what we're doing. And our goal is always to introduce listeners and readers to new authors. Yeah. One of the things that I try to do as a podcaster is just I look for people who are passionate about their books. Yeah whatever that passion might be, you know what I mean? And give them an opportunity. You'd be surprised who you come across. So as a listener and as a reader, be open to new books, be open to people you have never heard of. Is that book going to be for you? Maybe not. You don't have to like every book, but you might be surprised if you find a book that's just like, oh, wow, that's an incredible book. I knew nothing about it. Instead of just letting yourself say, well, I don't know if I'm going to like it because the main character is a person of color or is a person of a minority. Don't don't look at that. It's still a story about a human being and you will find something to connect with that story. And I find actually, oh, years back, years back, I remember before 2020, walking into chapters and I remember seeing uh, and I, 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 I don't want to come across that I'm being judgy at all. But, you know, I'd walk in and I'd see the big names 
Okay. But some big names. And I'd be like, I see those names. I see those names, you know, and, and, you know, sometimes I know, for example, okay, I I don't want to put my foot in my mouth here. (laughs) So for example, there are days when I'd walk in and I'd be like, yeah, it's summer. I want a Dan Brown. I'm escaping. I want to be led on a thrill ride. Okay. So there are, I have days like that. And then there are other days where I will go into, um, we have in Victoria, a bookstore called Monroe's and it's absolutely beautiful. And there's just like all these different authors and names I don't know. And I find it's that when you find an author, you don't know, and you, you, you take that book home and you love that story. That's like a gem. And then, then you're like, okay, I want more, you know, like you want more from that author. And then, yeah. Okay. It's all about giving yourself permission to, to be okay with something new. Yeah. And sometimes, especially with reading, I tell everybody reading is single-handedly one of the most personal things you're going to do. Cause a book is the only thing you're going to take to book besides your, your partner. Your spouse. <laughs> Let's be honest. Like you're taking this thing to bed. Yeah. So when it comes to, it's really personal. Like yeah. this is a really personal affair. Well, Everybody looks people, at me. Yeah, yeah. people take it in the them. bathtub too. So <laughs> you understand this is a very, especially if you listen to podcasts, like I'm yeah. in your ear, like yeah. we're going very deep and personal. <laughs> so it becomes a very much interesting affair. So we have to be much more careful of what we take into sometimes because time is precious. Yeah. So when you're deciding to take a leap and, and, find a new author, invest in a new writer, be able to say, mm, this could, I've never heard of this person. Let me give it a try. Yeah. That alone is a huge investment because if you love it, you're going to tell her about it. If you hate it, yeah. try not to trash them. Yeah. They need the audience. Yeah. But at least be honest, why? Yeah. Because the things that you didn't like, somebody might actually be their happy place. Yeah. So it is all about just giving them an opportunity. Sometimes is those opportunities that can make an author's career because yeah. you gave them a try. Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. Okay. So just the other day, I had an author ask me about starting a podcast. Do you feel that more authors are starting podcasts as a way to promote themselves, but also to give back and promote others? I do. Yeah. When I started doing mine, it was actually more or less a combination of I wanted a different creative outlet. Mm-hmm. I wasn't really looking to do specifically books when I started, but they became that conversation of, hey, what do I like? I like to read. What do I enjoy? Talking to authors is really fun. So that's kind of how that piece came to me. It was a very much, what am I willing to spend my time doing without getting tired and bored? Yeah. That's how that came about. So when authors are looking to do podcasts, I'm always very much like, find something you enjoy. Yeah. Because you're going to do this over and over. And if you're editing, it's going to take you even more time. You're listening to yourself. Yeah. But you have to find a topic that you don't mind researching, that you don't and you don't mind being involved over a period of time. Podcasting, while it's growing very quickly, is still a very small niche. Okay. So you're still, it's a long-term investment. Yeah. You know, it's not something that's going to happen overnight. Do not feel that I'm going to start a podcast and I'm going to be known worldwide tomorrow. Yeah. You still have to build like everything else. And podcast is a great way to connect. Yeah, It is also a one-way connection because your listeners are not coming back and telling you about it. 
So there is you putting it out and hopefully connecting with people. So it's a great way to promote it, which is interesting because I don't talk about my books during my podcast. So I go to other people's podcasts to talk about my books. Yeah. But it's always, it's very odd. But it's those conversations for me as an author, being a podcaster, interviewing authors made it a little easier. Yeah. Because I understand the journey. I can help you talk about the journey and ask you questions that make sense. That sometimes people be like, oh, I didn't see it that way. Yeah. Same with me. It's, it's funny because I don't talk about my own books on on my podcast. I didn't even mention my two. <laughs> Usually for a while there, I had to write down, mention that you are the author of. <laughs> you know, so... Okay, great, great answers here. Okay, so two quick before we we wrap this up. What's next for you, DC? Or what are you working on now? What 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 what's what's going on? What's happening? Oh, I have a list of millions of stuff to do. But right now in my writer's world, I am book, working on book two. It's called The Traitor in the Orders of Assassins series. So the Orders of Assassins is well, the Assassins. Yeah, Order of Assassins. He is actually a side character for the Intern Diary. So since Judgment Day wrapped up, one of our fabulous characters, Eric, has his own spinoff series. So he's my fabulous cup witch trainer for ISIS. And now he's trying to figure out who betrayed the Order. So he's on a mission and accidentally, like many things in my characters, has become the assassin for the Order, which is something he's not enjoying, but he still wants to find the truth. So that's where he's on. So this is what is hoping and hope. My goal is to get it out here in November. I keep saying that. So this is the goal of this baby needs to come out. So yeah. Okay. 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 So before we end, anything you'd like to add, DC? Honestly, it has been a true pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I have had a blast. I can't believe it's been an hour. Like it's flew and by. Yeah. So it has been absolutely lovely. Thank you so much for having me. An absolute honor. This has been a blast. Like I... I hope you do, you speak at conference. Yeah, you you are a public speaker, because I tell you, you when you talk, I'm just like, I'm listening. And I don't know, I, I kept thinking, stop getting so close to the screen, Joe, <laughs> right? <laughs> so DC, have a great day. Thank you. Thank you so much. And you continue to do amazing things for our community. Thank you. Thank you.